Happy Monday, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. Week four was the first full weekend of conference play with five conference matchups on the docket. Despite all the talk this season about the Sunbelt East, it was the West that had one of the best days of the year with three teams pulling off upsets, including Southern Miss stunning Tulane on the road. Kane, the Sunbelt needed a bounce back after week three. What were your thoughts about week four in the Sunbelt? Man, I think the Sunbelt conferences just keep proving it week in and week out that they're just one of the more premier conferences as far as competition and watching teams play. I think there were so many close games, some slow starts in the first half for some of these teams, some great defense getting played. In the second half, just some offensive fireworks, some back and forth stuff we saw. It was really good to see some of these teams finally play each other and see how they fare against each other. And I think I'm I'm right here standing on the front lines of having an advocate for a Sunbelt after a dark game, man. Because even that, that ULL-ULM matchup, we were texting about it at 11 o'clock at night, man. We just couldn't get enough of those matchups in those close games. So I think this conference really just proved that it's going to be probably the premier group of five and probably just one of the more competitive conferences in the country as far as who's going to come out and the teams just being all at a pretty high level and competable level with each other. Yeah, well, like I said, we saw some upsets. We saw some really good games. I think we've seen some teams start to pull ahead in certain division races earlier, at least make us think that they could. Um, But as we do every Monday, we wanted to run down through the Sunbelt scoreboard where we'll give you all the results from around the conference in week four. Right after that, Kate and I will dive into some of the big matchups from the weekend. So let's get started first on Thursday night. We've already talked about it on the pod, but it was Coastal Carolina playing in Atlanta, Georgia. They defeat Georgia State by 17 in that one. Coastal Improves to 4-0 on the season. Georgia State sitting at 0-4, the only team, one of the only teams left in the conference still without a victory. App State, JMU yesterday. We wanted to pick JMU in that one. Caden, both you and I went with App State on the pod on Friday, but JMU comes all the way from behind. I don't want to rub that one in anymore. I know that one stung for you yesterday, but App State falls to 2-2 on the season. JMU still undefeated at 3-0, and they're looking like home wreckers in the East right now. So we'll get into that more as we go. Georgia Southern played Ball State in Statesboro. They were a nine and a half point favorite, and they actually had to come from behind late in that game, and they were able to cover the spread. So good job by Georgia Southern. They win 34 to 23. They're three and one, and one of the big early season surprises in the Sun Belt. Troy and Marshall, what a game that was. Ugly in the first half. That game was in Troy, Alabama. Marshall came in as the favorite. Troy came out as the victor, like I predicted on Friday's episode. Just wanted to throw that out there. Both of those teams, two and two. Troy gets a statement victory, and the football god shined down on Troy in that game. Old Dominion and Arkansas State, another game that we thought would be very close. So did the odds makers. Arkansas State ends up covering the spread in this one, but Old Dominion wins the game 29-26 on a touchdown pass by Hayden Wolf. Old Dominion sitting at two and two. Arkansas State one and three. Going to be tough to get bowl eligible after going one and three to start the year. Southern Miss. We mentioned the biggest upset of the day. They traveled to Tulane, the Battle of the Bell, and Southern Miss came out victorious for the first time since 2010. They were a double-digit underdog. They win by three. They're two and two, and maybe sneaky in that West Division race. We'll get into that more. ULM and Louisiana, that Sunbelt after dark game last night, and it was a stunner. We needed Louisiana to step up and show some things in this game. They did the exact opposite. ULM stuns the Raging Cajuns in Monroe. They win that game 21 to 17. And just like that, ULM and Louisiana each with two and two records. I don't think any of us expected that to begin the year. South Alabama looking like perhaps the best team in the Sunbelt right now. They took down Louisiana Tech in 
easy fashion in Mobile. They were a 13.5-point favorite. They win that one going away by 24 and improved to 3-1 and one on the season. And then the last game of the weekend, it was Texas State versus Houston. Was it Baptist? I think it was Houston Christian after they changed their name. No matter their name, they still lost Texas State, a 26-and-a-half-point favorite. They win by 34, shutting out Houston Christian and improving to 2-2 two and two on the season. Here's a couple of quick things to note. There's only two undefeated teams left in the group of five. Both are in the Sun Belt, James Madison and Coastal Carolina, a combined 7-0. and The Sun Belt West finished 4-2, and two, including three upset victories, ULM, Southern Miss, and Troy, if you count that one against Marshall. And then James Madison... Caden, plug your ears right here. I know you don't want to hear this, but James Madison coming from 25 down to defeat App State in front of the sixth largest crowd in App State history. A big day for the Dukes, and they have arrived on the scene in the Sun Belt in a big way. But that's the complete scoreboard in this in this one. We'll jump into some recaps now. And really, Caden, I know when we both talked last night, where we wanted to start this episode was talking about We've been calling it the Wild West, and it was a big day out West. And it all started with South Alabama and Louisiana Tech. Like, South Alabama's a team that, with each week that goes by, they look better and better. And I'm starting to feel really bad that I didn't take them. I'm falling in love with the Jags right now because in this game, Caden, they showed us something even more that we haven't seen this year. We've gotten accustomed to the really good offense. But in this game, special teams showed up, and so did the defense in an even bigger way than they've done all year. South Alabama's looking like a favorite in the West and maybe in the Sun Belt right now. Uh, and I obviously picked this team going into the season to come out the West, but I don't think anybody could have expected them to come out like this. I mean, I thought they'd be primed for success, and I thought they had the right tools and pieces, especially behind Kane Walmack coaching that team with just a different edge last year. But, I mean, what more could you ask for from the South Alabama team? You have to love how they're bringing it right now. The scariest thing for a team, if you're going against another team, is a team that's clicking on all cylinders in every facet of the game, offense, defense, and special teams, and they're doing that right now. I mean, that's the most dangerous team you can play, and when you're on a team like that, you feel like no matter who's on the field for you at any given time, plays will get made. They're returning punt returns for touchdowns. They're (laughs) taking interceptions back for touchdowns. Their offense is clicking. So I would say that right now there can't be a team scarier than this team right now in the entire conference, really. Yeah, there's a lot of confidence down in Mobile. I texted my my buddy, J.D. Byers, who's the voice of South Alabama before yesterday's game, and I said, how do you think it's going to go? He said, South Alabama by 28. I got a text around midnight last night with a screenshot of the score. I told him, I said, I was laughing halfway through that game because they really dominated. It was 38-7, to seven, nine seconds into the fourth quarter, and in that game, Louisiana Tech, they get a late touchdown to you know make it 38-14, but... Those special teams, like they get a 57-yard punt return in that first quarter of play. That was huge. That was Colin Lacey on that return. And then you get a 24-yard interception return, nine TFLs, four sacks, five turnovers, four interceptions. Kane Womack football is fun to watch. Yeah, and I'm also going to give a shout out to their kicker, Diego. Um, he he hasn't missed all year either for them. I think every facet of the game, they're doing it on special teams as well. Their punter as well, Brooks, he got two within the 20. Like They're owning the field position. They're owning the return game. They're owning the kicking game. Offense and defense, they've been proving it all year, and they just continue to do that. And I think one of my favorite things about this team right now is you hear their players talking after the game, and they said that a bad taste in their mouth after the UCLA game. They weren't a team that was just 
happy and satisfied showing up up in that game, playing well and taking that team down to the wire. They expected to win that. And that's what great teams expect to do. So the fact that they came back from Los Angeles with a bad taste in their mouth, Kane Walmack called it a statement game. They wanted to come out and throw the first punch in this game and just keep doing it all the way until the end. And they did it. So I think they're showing those characteristics of a great team already. And you have to feel good about them, especially with this matchup that we know we have anticipated that we've had our marked on our calendars for a while now when they go to ULL next week. So you just got to love what USA is doing right now, man. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Guajardo, the kicker for South Alabama. If they had simply let him kick the ball against UCLA on that late game play, they might be 4-0 and right now and be in the conversation to be a top 25 team. Like, they have looked that good to begin this year. I'm really impressed with South Alabama. Well, let's move on. Troy versus Marshall. And Troy, the heartbreaking loss last weekend at App State. Uh, God was a Mountaineer fan last weekend in App State. Winning that game, we'll talk about App State in a couple minutes. That magic appears to have run out after the early season run. But Troy, I think, was rewarded for staying the course. They could have easily packed it in after what was just a heartbreaking loss against App State. But instead, they come home and they face Marshall. And they did a really nice job of winning this game 16-7. to The only thing that I'll really say about this game right off the bat is it was a very sloppy first half in this game. We saw multiple turnovers overall in this game, three fumbles and an interception from the two teams, a couple of fumbles in the first half. Caden, it was a really sloppy game to start, but it definitely didn't foretell how that game was going to end. Yeah, obviously a rough start to the game. Just the ball was on the ground too much. There was just busted plays left and right. Neither offense really got their their groove going in the beginning of the game. But I think just the highlight of this one has to be Troy's defense. I mean, Troy got five sacks, four hurries. They lived in the backfield all game with 11 TFLs. I mean, we talked about it before. I was worried going into this game that the one-dimensionality of Troy's offense was going to hold them back just because they really just strictly throw the ball. They don't run the ball. But it looked like Marshall had the opposite problem. Marshall only ran the ball in this game, and they didn't do it well. That's what their calling card has been, and they didn't do it well. Troy was prepared for that. The receivers played tight coverage. They were not scared of getting beat over the top and getting beat in the passing game, and it really played off for them. And up front, they handled business. They got Carlton Marshall back, who had an awesome game, and they were just constantly making the quarterback uncomfortable and not letting them get that run game going as well as they have in the past. So you have to get your hats, give your hat off to Troy's defense, and if they can play this well against teams that might be a little bit more one-dimensional, I think they could really do some damage in this West as well. Caden, did you see the picture of Carlton Marshall's helmet after the game? He had completely ripped it apart, 18 more tackles, and now is the all-time leader in the Sun Belt. I saw that, man. You got to just give it to him. I mean, it really makes you wonder, with him just being obviously one of the all-time greats on the defensive side of the ball in the Sun Belt, it really makes you wonder if he was playing in the App State game last week, if that result would have been different, because I think he's clearly shown that he's that big of a difference maker in this game. So we might be talking about how God was a Mountaineer last week, but the biggest thing he might have done was kept Carlton Marshall out of that game. So you have to love him leading this defense in this Western side that really doesn't look too strong offensively if you look at all the teams across the board. Dude's a total dog. And another guy in this game that played well, you mentioned him a moment ago, Gunnar Watson, another strong performance. He's looked good early on this season. The only thing I can knock him for is the interceptions. He's had a few too many of those to begin the year, but he's now averaging 312 yards through the air per game. And really, other than those interceptions, I think you have to be very impressed with the play of Gunnar Watson. And Troy has to be happy with the quarterback play right now. No, 100%. The passing attack was clicking on all cylinders for them. I thought the matchup against the Marshall DBs was going to be a very key one in this game, and it was. And I think, got to give your hats off a little bit to Marshall's DBs. They did obviously get the ball passed on them a ton. They gave up a ton of yards, but they very much played a, a bend-don't-break style 
break style of um, defense because Troy really couldn't get the ball in the end zone. If they, that Troy offense, if they can combine those explosive plays with really some elevated red zone play and not have to settle for kick, kick field goal kick, shout out to Brooks Buse. He had three for three, nine points for the nine, ended up being a huge difference in the game. But if they can turn some of those into touchdowns and their defense is playing this way, you have to love how Troy looks on both sides of the ball. Here's my big concern as we transition to talk about Marshall in this. We mentioned the strong quarterback play from Troy. I felt like Henry Columbia, after the pretty good start to the season, he hadn't had to do a ton, was really exposed in this game. He gets sacked four times, throws the ball just 13 times, completes eight of them for 49 yards. He's been able to rely on his running game a lot this season, and the running game wasn't as good despite Kalen Laborn rushing for 100 yards again. I mean, that's almost an easy prop bet every week at this point, but I really felt like Columbia was exposed in this contest against a much better defense, and that leaves a lot of question marks, I think, for Marshall as we move forward. Yeah, I said going into this one, you're going to have to get a good game out of him. He needs to elevate his his game in this one just because I know Marshall's going to run the ball. It's not going to really lend your quarterback to get into a rhythm like that, so you have to make the most out of your opportunities. And he wasn't able to, and part of that is on him. He should have created some more plays, and I think their offensive attack just from a throwing standpoint just isn't looking as, as explosive. Troy's DBs, even when they were getting tech catches, they were coming out hitting hard, hard not letting – Marshall get any yards after the catch, but they have to protect protect Henry better as well. I mean, he was getting sacked and pressured all day. And I just, I'm very curious about Marshall's whole entire program and really their fan base's thoughts on Columbia right now. Cause I mean, they, they used Cam Fancher in this game quite a few times. He's shown that he's more of a dual threat option on their one touchdown. They had of the day he was in there running the read option. And he's the one who got the attention with his legs from that defensive end that allowed Laybourne to score. So I'm curious if we're going to see more of him this year. You obviously lose Grant Wells. He proved that he could throw the ball. He makes it more, a more dynamic passer than Columbia right now. I wonder if they're missing a, a player like that, who might've had a couple more interceptions than you'd like, but did show he could, extend the field a little bit get some explosive plays have three four five touchdown games for you i'm just very curious what the mood is about columbia right now going forward because he's not protected he's not really able to get in the rhythm and be an explosive passer and you have a dual threat option as well who may be a better quarterback for this style of play if you want to win games because i don't know if their style of play right now just being stubborn and running the ball and not having an explosive passing attack is going to work for them going through the season i think it really feels like marshall and app state are still on a hangover a little bit from those week two victories against notre dame and App State. Marshall's gone 0-2 since then, including that loss to Bowling Green last week. We'll get to App State. They barely survive against Troy and then fall to, I think, what looks like a good James Madison team, but we'll get more into that in a minute. Uh, Let's talk, too, about a team that, you know, Caden, when you're on Twitter, there's a lot of people that like this team, that think this team is in the West title race. I'm not ready to go there yet, but they certainly have looked pretty good early on this year. And that's Southern Miss. Southern Miss goes to Tulane. They win for the first time since 2010 against Tulane. And they take home the Battle of the Bell. The biggest L that I think Southern Miss took in this game was they actually broke the trophy after the game. And so the bell was off of its stand. You couldn't ring the bell anymore. They rang it too hard. I think they were just that excited to finally beat Tulane. But they beat Tulane in this one. And when you look at this game, Tulane led for a lot of this game until Southern Miss scores 17 unanswered points. My biggest concern and why I still think Southern Miss isn't in the title race is despite winning this game, they had over 200 yards fewer than Tulane in this game. They gave up 204 yards on the ground. I just don't think that they're at that championship caliber level yet. 
Yeah, I'll have to agree with you on that. And I think the good thing about it is, is they have shown improvement. I think when we looked at them playing in their first week of Liberty, we thought they were going to have major problems throughout the year, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But I think they have shown improvement. It's a good sign if you're a Southern Miss fan and you're a part of that program that you're showing that you're getting better throughout the year. I don't think we'll ultimately really know how they stack up against these other teams in the West until we see them really start to play some of those teams. But right now, I think just based on their resume and some of the resumes and the strengths and deficiencies of some of these other teams on the West, it's definitely hard to put them and stack them up uh, as high as some of those other teams we've seen. But if you're a Southern Miss fan, you have to love what you've seen out of the quarterback Wickle this week. I mean, he had two touchdown passes. You thought if they were so bad running the ball in any game that that would be a big, strong weakness for them and that they wouldn't be able to do much and win a game. But the fact that they won a game in a different way than they have been in the past, not really leaning on Frank Gore Jr. as much and leaning on your quarterback a little bit is definitely a good sign as an offense. And then as a defense, you talked about some of the problems they had scoring and getting scored on. They gave up 17 points very early in this game, but they gave up 17 right before the half. And then Tulane doesn't score until the very end of the game on their last drive. So by the time Tulane scored, it was too late. So you have to give your hats off to Southern Miss in this one. I don't know if they're quite yet in that conversation as far as being a team that we could see in this championship game going forward, but you have to like the improvement you've seen out of them so far. Yeah, I mean, they're just tough to read right now because they play Liberty to that four-overtime game in that first game they lose, and then Liberty goes and nearly beats Wake Forest. So you don't know what's going on there. And then they also play Miami. Miami goes and loses to Middle Tennessee State, who after week one and what James Madison did to them, we thought it was a complete laugher. So I don't know. I think college football is a little messed up right now, and we just don't really know what's going to happen. So maybe Southern Miss has a way of sneaking into a title game. Yeah, it's, it gets very dangerous in college football if you start playing the, oh, they beat that team game. So that, mean that, that means that team could beat the other team. I know we talked about what well, you didn't know about Middle Tennessee, and then they go and beat Miami. And trying to compare teams like that is always a challenge. And I think that's why it's so hard to compare Southern Miss to some of these other teams. So I'm really excited to see them get into some conference play. And I think that'll be the true test. They have to go to Troy next week, which I think we know a lot about Troy right now. That's where we're learning a lot more about Southern Miss than they go to Arc State. So I'm excited to watch Southern Miss play in this conference. And I think this, the, the narrative and the story to be told about them is still a lot left to them being a two and two team right now, especially last game. I want to talk about out West. And again, we put this one last before we get into the loser in this game. I do want to give credit to ULM for beating Louisiana, Terry Bowden, picking up his sixth victory at the helm of the Warhawks program. They're two and two to begin the year. They're two losses against Alabama and Texas right now. Um, they've got Arkansas State coming up next. So you might see ULM as a team that's over 500 for the first time in I don't even know when. Uh, but ULM wins this game. It was a complete shocker. I'm not even really sure I want to spend much time on ULM because they obviously won the football game. But my prediction of Louisiana winning the West is up in flames at this point. And I still don't think Louisiana came out of this game with a quarterback. I mean, Caden, we were on a Twitter space last night with some very angry Raging Cajun fans, and even they were split on who the quarterback was. Uh, the defense plays okay in this one. They held ULM to 21 points, but, uh, you know, I think that defense might need to stage a mutiny right now because that offense can't score with the lights on in a dark room. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. No, I think we um we talked about the panic meter going into this game, obviously. And if you're it's a ULM, ten, by the like, way, it has it's to a be ten a, now. 
Oh, I was thinking 12. I mean, it's all, it's a 10 because of your game, but then it's a 12 because of what South Alabama just did, and that's who you have to see next week. So they're definitely in panic right now. We obviously came into this game saying we had an inaccurate representation of ULM just because they've played so many good teams so far, but I still wasn't really impressed with anything they did in this game. I think all they really did into this game was went up front, they wanted it more. Their players played harder. They won the field position a little bit, and they literally had two more explosive plays than ULL. They ran the ball well. They played some good defense. But, like, is that all it takes to beat ULL now? Like, can you just outplay them a little bit and beat them up front, and that's the formula? Because if, if so, that's a very, very bad sign. And you talked about their quarterback situation. I still don't think they figured out who their quarterback's going to be in this game. And I think even more importantly, I mean, for the season, sorry, but even more importantly, they don't know their offensive identity right now. They can't run the ball. That's been a staple they have forever. They can't throw the ball. That hasn't necessarily been a staple, but it's something they've been able to create off of their run game. And they just can't create anything right now. And they're really hanging that defense out to dry. And they didn't play a bad game against ULM. ULM just wanted it more. ULM scored one of their first two drives and then didn't score again until their two late touchdowns on the second to and third to last drives of the game. And they won the game. Like ULM just stayed in the game, hung tough, outplayed the ULL and won. So there's a lot to figure out right now if you're in ULL and you have a very, very short amount of time to figure it out. But ULM fans, live it up. I loved watching them celebrate. I loved watching them get that win. They haven't beat that team in a long time. So they're going to have bragging rights, rights minimum for the rest of the year going forward. So you got to be excited for them. And then panics at an all-time high for the Cajuns right now. Let me read a quote from a Sunbelt assistant coach that was nameless in a publication before the season. He said, with Billy... Napier gone. What does the next era look like? They're losing production, leadership, identity, all of it. And we aren't sure how similar the schemes will be either. I think that sums up what we've seen from Louisiana. Kate and I put out a tweet last night and I feel like it was one of my best takes of the year so far. And I didn't get much love, but I put out there, I said, Billy Napier took the team and ULM took Louisiana's dignity last night. And that's exactly how you can sum up that game. ULM probably shouldn't have won that game. Louisiana, I think there's so many questions out there. I know fans are already calling for coaches' jobs. I don't like that early on in the season. I think there's still plenty of time to figure this out. But, you know, it doesn't get any easier with South Alabama coming next weekend. I know that's going to be a game that we spend a lot of time on Friday's preview episode. Well, let's move on to the East. And, you know, you have to start the conversation there like it feels like we do every week, and that's with App State in another tight game that goes down to the buzzer. They've played almost all of their games at home to begin the year, with the exception of that Texas A&M victory on the road. Caden, you might want to plug your ears in this one because James Madison down 28-3 at half, and then it was the Dukes that scored 29 unanswered points in this game. They held App State scoreless for the final 36 minutes and 10 seconds of this game. This was quite literally a tale of two halves and probably the worst come from behind loss since the Falcons came from behind and beat the Patriots with the exact same score in the Super Bowl several years ago. But, Caden, I know you don't have a lot of notes on this game because I think we're about to hear event session. No, I have no notes on this one. I mean, I've, I've, <laughs> I broke down all the other games. I, I looked and did the, did my research, tried to figure out a narrative for each of them, do, do my diligence as I like to do on this podcast. But I watched this whole App State game and I, I had my heart into it. Obviously, it was very disappointing watching App State put on that performance. But I think we've been talking about it all year. At least I have 
this team has shown some very high highs and some very low lows. And I think the high highs of this team so far have really distracted us from the, for some of these very poor performances they've been putting together. We never knew if the defense from A&M was going to show up or the offense from UNC was going to show up. And we saw at different times of the year, different teams show up game to game. But in this game, it was truly, we saw both teams that App State has in the first and the second half. The first half, they're force, forcing turnovers and capitalizing on them, which is huge, with touchdowns. And in the second half, they lose it all. I think you have to do a lot of soul searching. We've been saying that all year for a lot of teams. But App State, more than any team, has a lot to figure out right now just because they have some of the highest potential out of every team in the conference right now. I mean, their offense with Barbet and Chase Bryce has been clicking on all cylinders and shown that they can do that. And then... In the second half, they're just not aggressive. They don't want it as bad as JMU does. And everything they did in the first half that didn't work just started working for JMU because they wanted it more. And then if you look at the defense, we've been worried about it all year. Mobile quarterbacks are going to give this team problems. you got to play gap assignment football. You have to play tight coverage, and they didn't do that in the second half. So it was just sad and upsetting as an App State fan, at least, to watch them get outplayed and outcoached in the second half because that's just not, it's not accustomed to the culture. It's not something that happens often in that place. Caden, I think it's almost crazy to think that probably two weeks ago, we were starting to put App State in the conversation for a New Year's Six Bowl college game day comes to Boone. But now when you look back over these last couple of weeks, you say to yourself, App State's probably two or three, maybe four plays away from being 0-4 to begin this year. They beat Texas A&M. They got lucky against Troy, and I use that word very frankly, and then, obviously, James Madison comes in. And, you know, really right now, James Madison is playing spoiler in the East. Like, they're not eligible for a bowl game. They're not eligible for the conference title. And I have to imagine that they've got a little chip on their shoulder and says, let's go be homewreckers in this East. And they are fixing to be some major homewreckers in the East right now. No, right now they're playing for a people's championship, which is honestly a scary team when you have a team like you, <laughs> like JMU. They know they can't win and play in the conference championship or a bowl game this year. They got a lot of seniors back, a lot of fifth, six years guys who came back and decided to play in this season despite they're not really being hardware on the line. And that's that's simply a dangerous team. And I think we really saw that in the second half of this team. I mean, their defense, we talked about, we made jokes about their run-stopping ability all year, but they stopped App State's run game. They did that themselves. And Todd Santeo is just establishing himself right now as arguably the best quarterback in the conference as far as being a dual threat quarterback, getting things done with his arm, getting things done with his legs. And this is one of the scarier teams in the conference. I think them not being eligible for a championship is kind of giving them a little bit of an edge and a chip like you were talking about. So I don't think any team wants to play JMU right now because they are good. They have that pedigree. And on top of that, they're playing a brand of football that no one else can play where they're literally just simply out there to prove that they belong in this conference. They don't care if they win or lose. They're playing to prove it to themselves and just put the country really on notice that, hey, we're coming. We might not be able to do what we want to do as far as getting a ring this year, but we're going to show you that if if it was possible, we would have it probably. So it's going to be very interesting to see if they end up on top of the Eastern Conference side, which wouldn't be a crazy thing to say right now. And then the, the second place team on the East ends up playing in the championship. That would definitely be huge for their program. To me, that's worst case scenario for the Sun Belt if that happens is 100%. JMU winning and not being able to play for a conference championship. Uh, you know, one of the things you just mentioned a moment ago, Toddy Touchdown or Todd Santeo, you know, whichever one you prefer, I prefer Toddy touchdown, but I look at the stat lines right now, Caden, and after he's responsible for three straight touchdowns, leading James Madison back against App State, he ran, he ran for one through two. He's got 11 touchdowns, has yet to throw an interception. To me, he's the early season favorite for offensive player of the year right now. 
A hundred percent. I think if you look at the quarterback position in the conference, it's him, it's Chase, and it's Grayson McCall. Just because the, the edge he has, though, is he's just so much more dynamic with his legs. He falls forward a little bit more. Their their offense runs a little bit more on his legs versus his arm compared to other quarterbacks in the conference. So it's really hard to argue that he can make the biggest impact on his team and his offense more than anyone else. I mean, if he's not playing in the second half of that game, they're not coming back and winning it. And that's a tribute to him and everything he brings to the table as an offensive dynamic player. So you got to love what he's doing right now if you're a JMU fan. He's just he's just going to be one of the hardest matchups, I think, offensively that teams are going to see throughout the year just because what are you going to do with his arms and his legs? Yeah, he looked good. And you mentioned a moment ago we made some jokes on Friday's episode about the run defense for James Madison. They came into this game giving up 10.5 yards per game. Okay, and this is an App State team that rushes for 200 yards like in their sleep, and they only get 63 in this game, and that average jumped all the way from 10.5 to 28 through three games. So maybe that James Madison run defense isn't really a joke after all. No, they're looking good, and we talked about it before. If you're going to be a good team in this conference, stopping the run is normally something you're going to have to do against most teams, <laughs> maybe not Troy, but most other teams in the conference, you're going to have to stop that run on defense. And they've definitely proven, obviously, in the first two games, we weren't sure about the competition they were playing, but when you go to a place like App State where they've been running the ball traditionally well for years and years now, you have to put some respect on that. That's a huge win for their defense up front. And I think from the App State side, you have to be a little bit concerned about your running back room. They got Nate Noel back, but it looked like him and Cam Peoples were a little bit beat up. I don't know if it was something from previous weeks or just JMU bringing it, but JMU, that style of defense, they're going to bring pressure up front. They're going to be aggressive up front. And they're going to have an extra guy in the box. And that's really an opportunity for your guys on the outside to win those matchups. And they were not winning them in the second half. So I think JMU's defense overall the combination of their run-stopping ability and their secondary playing very well in the second half and kind of making things a little bit hectic for Chase made it indecisive to throw some of these balls and then ultimately winning and breaking up some of these passes. I think JMU's defense, the more they start playing these Sunbelt teams that have proven themselves, they keep stepping up to the occasion. It's going to be hard to argue against them being one of the best defenses in the conference for sure. I said this was going to be a battle between big brother App State and little brother JMU, and I think JMU, the little brother, just beat the big brother for the first time in their life now as an FCS or FBS program. Um, so interesting result there in Boone. We've got two more games to highlight here. We're going to kind of go lightning round through these two games. Old Dominion takes down Arkansas State. I think the biggest takeaway in this game was that all of Old Dominion's points, 29 total, scored in the second half alone. If you had told me Old Dominion was going to put up 29 points and a half, let alone an entire game, I probably would have called you crazy. But they figured some things out. Jennings and Kuntz stepped up, and Hayden Wolf found Kuntz for the game winner late in that game. Yeah, we talked about into the in, going into the game how important it would be for ODU's offense to try to keep up with this high-paced Arkansas State defense. Their ODU's defense obviously showed up when it mattered most in the second half of this game. And then, thankfully, finally, we saw that ODU offense step up. You saw Hayden Wolf make some big throws to his top targets with Ali Jennings and Hayden Wolf. You love to see those two guys scoring. If you're an ODU fan, you want to see Wolf to Jennings and Wolf to um, Kuntz as much as you can this year in the end zone. So I'm glad they tapped into that. And just a really great finish for them. I'm super excited about them going forward in the schedule. I think we talked about their non-conference being a little bit more difficult, but it's going to be very interesting to see ODU going into this conference play, especially as a home team where I think they'll have a great advantage moving forward this year. Yeah, ODU 2-2 two and two on the season right now. They're a field goal away from being 3-1 and one right now. So the voters who picked them to finish 7th in the East certainly not looking really good right now. Last game that we want to talk about, Georgia Southern versus Ball State. Georgia Southern trailed 23-20 to with 12.39 to go in that one, but they were able to come back, win the game. And important for those of you who like to bet on sports, they were able to cover the spread. That one feels like a little bit of a bad beat right at the end, but 
Um, Caden, I think the biggest thing for Georgia Southern right now, they have to be the biggest early season surprise in the Sun Belt. They're 3-1 and one heading into their first conference matchup. It's not easy against Coastal Carolina on Saturday, but you have to like what Clay Helton and company are doing in their first season at the helm. No, they're definitely the biggest surprise and the most pleasant surprise, I think, in the Sun Belt going forward. I mean, they were a two-win team last year, and they're they're at three already. So they're gambling with house money the rest of the year. I think them at home, too, especially, are going to be a hard matchup for anybody. And you got to give love to my guy, Kyle Van Trees, man. Still throwing the ball, playing big for this team, 310 yards, two touchdowns. He's going to be the reason they win a lot of games this year if they win. And we talked about it a little bit before. It's going to be very curious to see if this is a team that you might not expect it before, but could be in a bowl game, especially with Georgia State having the slow start they're having and them having the fast start so super excited to watch georgia southern throughout the year too and just another team to worry about in the east like we've been talking about yeah georgia southern's look good i think it might be hard for them to get bowl eligible i mean you look ahead at the schedule they go to coastal probably a tough game there i think they have a great chance at beating georgia state uh in atlanta and then they get james madison old dominion that's probably a winnable game i don't think anyone's beating south alabama uh, not too many teams are going to beat South Alabama. I'm going to hedge a little bit on that one, but I think Georgia Southern probably won't beat them. Louisiana looks up for grabs at this point, and then they end the season with Marshall and App State at home. So Georgia Southern is going to have to surprise a team, but I think they have the pieces to do it. The only thing that I wanted to mention before we move on is you mentioned Van Treese. He's obviously been heaving the ball all over the yard right now. The only concern I have with him right now is he's got eight touchdown passes, six interceptions. This was the first game, though, that he didn't throw an interception this year. I think that has to be cleaned up if Georgia Southern wants to pull off an upset against one of those teams I just mentioned. No, 100%. I mean, they're still figuring things out. Like I said, they still have some of that triple option personnel, so they do still have some things to figure out. But them being in this phase where they're just trying to turn things around, playing as well as they are, has to be promising. But it's all about the expectations. I think they didn't come into this season as far as a fan base goes expecting big things, and they're getting them already so far. So I think in Statesboro, a hard place to play. If you get Vantrese's best game, and some of his minimal turnovers, and you get a pretty decent performance out of your defense, I think they're going to be a tough team to play week in and week out in the conference, minimum. Caden, I did see on Twitter as we were recording this episode that JMU has just received votes in the top 25 poll. They received 11. So people are starting to get on the Dukes train uh, after they took down App State. We'll see how that trends the rest of the year. Well, let's move on, Caden. I sent you a text last night. I'm actually really excited about this segment. And it was, I want to know what our power rankings are right now through four weeks. We're a third of the way through the season. And I just wanted to see how we both felt about it. Um, I know we're going to differ here in a big way on one certain team. Um, I was going to go first, but I've decided to let you go first here. So go ahead and walk me through your top five in the Sun Belt right now, Sands Divisions. So, Noah, first question, do you want me to go five to one or one to five? Because I, I, I can sell the suspense in, in certain different ways. So I'm going to let you pick that as far as me going first. But how do you want it? Five to one or one to five? It's not going to matter for my picks because my suspenseful pick is right in the middle. So for yours, let's go five to one. All right. So my number five team right now, you have to give it to Troy right now. I think Troy in the West is proving themselves as a team to not <laughs> that you can't really you have to worry about them right now like they they've shown too much good right now they obviously got the big one over marshall should have won against app state but troy's really proving that their offensive tack throwing the ball is working well for them their defense is playing lights out with carlton marshall so they're my number five team my number four team is app state i think genuinely if troy would have beat app state you got to give it to them but they they narrowed by they got through cleanly in that one so app state did get that win but app state's two and two we talked about it before they're one of those teams that has proven that 
They could play very high highs, but those low lows really scare me. And JMU exploited them. And quite frankly, Troy exploited them too. So App State could be number one on this list because they have that potential to do that. But they've shown a lot of bottom five, bottom of the conference play, especially on the defensive side. So App State's at four for me right now with this power ranking. That being said, talked about little brother. Little brother's at three right now for me, JMU. They get the big win over App State. They proved that those games in the beginning of the year weren't a fluke. They might have played lesser competition, but they did a lot of the same things on the offense and the defensive side of the ball right now that they got to do against App State this weekend. And that's one of the obviously premier teams in the conference. So I think JMU right now, not many teams on the the conference are going to want to play them from what they're showing right now. My number two team right now in the conference my guy, South Alabama, love what they're doing right now on the offensive, defensive, and special team side of the ball. One of the most dangerous teams in the conference. I think people are probably wondering why they're not my number one right now, but I just love everything they're doing right now. We've talked on and on about how good South Alabama has been, but they're in my two spot right now, and they're barely, barely, barely behind my number one team right now, which is Coastal Carolina. I think the only edge Coastal Carolina really has on South Alabama right now truly is that winning pedigree. They might not be having the the super defensive performances that South Alabama has been having, even on the offensive side of the ball, South Alabama has had moments where they look better than Coastal, but you and me saw them in person against Georgia State. Grayson McCall running that offense like the back of his hand behind Jamie Chadwell's system, really being able to control the tempo of games. I simply think they're the best team at winning games right now in the Sunbo, and I think that's the most important thing when looking into these power rankings. I think Troy right now could go on any team's field and win and they could win at home right now as well just because they have the formula they have the foundation they've proven they can done it in the past and they're doing it right now in the present too so that's my power ranking coastal carolina number one right now i liked everything that you said i think there's a lot of you know good information there to me i think that's probably the safest power five that you could take right now <laughs> in this conference james madison has looked really good and they probably deserve to be in that three spot behind South Alabama and Coastal. I am surprised that you didn't take South Alabama over Coastal, but I do agree with you. The Coastal looks really good, and they're doing it without their top three running backs. Well, I'm going to, again, go one through five here, starting at five. But before I get into five, I did want to give some receiving votes nods, and those two are going to be Marshall Marshall and Southern Miss, to me, deserve to be in the conversation. I'm going to say Southern Miss in the conversation just because I am tired of the Twitter hate. So for all you Eagles fans, uh, there's your Southern Miss pick. I think maybe they could sneak into the top five, but right now they're just outside of it. I'm not sold on them, but I like what Will Hall and company are doing down there. Well, here's my fifth pick, and it's the same as yours. It's going to be Troy. Troy sitting sitting right now at two and two on the season, but they should be three and one. I'm still giving them that victory in my mind over App State. So I think they've looked really good. Uh, They don't have much of a running game, so their offense is kind of one-dimensional, and I think you put them up against a Coastal or South Alabama, that might get exposed. But I certainly like what I've seen from Troy. I really like Carlton Marshall, so he's my defensive player of the year pick. Uh, So I think he's uh, a really solid player, and I think that helps the defense. Here's where I'm going to differ from you, and I'm going to do it for a singular reason. In my fourth spot in my power rankings, I am going with James Madison. And that means that App State is still going to be in front of James Madison in my polls here. So there's your hint. App State's my third best team in the conference. Here's the reason why. James Madison has looked really good to begin this year. I am sold on what I'm seeing from James Madison. The only reason I'm keeping them behind App State, Caden, is because they're not eligible for anything. They can't win the conference championship. They can't go to a bowl game. And so I can't put them ahead of a team that I legitimately think is probably better than them, but is really just searching right now in App State, really because they can't play 
in any of those games. To me, James Madison having a super good year this year is worst case scenario for the Sun Belt. Save it for next year. I'll be all in. I'm going to pick James Madison to win the East next year. But because they can't play for anything, that's worst case scenario in my mind. Do you want to respond to that really quick? Do you feel right doing that? Like, do you feel right putting a team on a power ranking like, up against the team that they just beat, like below them? I feel like that's obviously, I, I guess you don't value the people's champ aspect of James Madison I have right now. But I think James Madison, if they play App State 10 times, how many times do you think App State wins versus James Madison? Seven. Okay, then that, I think that's a fair representation. And I think that's a fair way to, to rank them and stack them up. Then again, if yeah. you feel that way. I mean, to me, and I'm totally fine with this, if they want to hang a Sunbelt Championship banner at Bridgeforth, much like we saw UCF do in 2017 at the end of the year, all for it. Go ahead. I would love to see it. <laughs> but App State's my third best team. They've still got a lot of question marks, I think. But when you look at the pieces, uh, I really like the pieces. Solid offensive line. I love Chase Bryce as the quarterback there. The running backs are banged up right now. That would have been a big difference against JMU. Peoples and Noel didn't play their best game. They've got some injuries on defense, but I still think there's plenty of time to figure this out. And as we've said, it now feels like the East is wide open. So I'm still taking App State. South Alabama, easy pick it too. Again, I wasn't willing to move them over. Caden, if you had asked this question just a week ago, I would have not put Coastal Carolina at one. But much like you, we saw that game on Thursday. I was super impressed with Coastal Carolina. They do it without their top three running backs. So they're my top team right now. They're 4-0. They've had some questionable victories, but I really think Jamie Chadwell, Grayson McCall, and company are looking really good and perhaps the favorites now in the East. And that's setting us up for, I think, what could be a really fun title game if all this plays out, and that would be Coastal versus South Alabama. But we've still got eight weeks of this season to go, and I think there's going to be plenty more chaos in this one. So that's my power rankings. Those are yours. Let's move on to our final segment of this episode, and that's your Smith Picks of the Week. I know you had a lot of trouble with the defensive pick because of some of the performances, but who'd you go with for both players? Yeah, so my picks of the week, I'm going to start with the defense because it was just such a strong weekend for defense in the conference right now. I'm going to show love to three players that were obviously in contention. I'm going to end up picking one, but I just have to give some spotlight to these guys. Um, First and foremost, South Alabama safety, Yam Banks. He had a great game. One TFL in the stat line, but he also had two interceptions, one return for a touchdown and three pass breakups. He was just all around the ball. That team forced four turnovers or four interceptions. He had two of them. I think they had seven pass breakups and he was three of them. So his fingerprints were all over that game as far as the defensive performance that South Alabama had, which was honestly one of the more impressive ones in the conference this week. Another one, ODU linebacker, Jason Henderson. He ended the game with 21 tackles and a TFL to end the half a TFL to end the game. Just tw- 20 tackle territory is absurd. He was all over the field in that game and his, his fingerprints also were very much felt in that win against Arkansas State. I think if he's not running to the ball and making all those tackles, the game goes a little bit diff- differently for them. So 20 tackles Tackles is always ridiculous. Shout out to him. And then last, the third guy I'm going to talk about is the one we talked about many times in this podcast, Troy linebacker Carlton Marshall. He has 18 tackles, a quarterback hurry, and he also breaks the Sunbelt record with tackles. He has to get 460. He gets in three tackles, then goes above and beyond and does it great. We talked about the helmet he had after the game. He was His presence was definitely felt in this Marshall game. And with all that being said, I think I'm going to pick him to be my conference player of the week. I think he has seniority over these guys. I think you have to go, if you have, three guys playing this well you have to what, what's the little difference that you have and that that record man that's going to stand the test of time that's going to be a tough one to beat we obviously talk with Barry about his story and how he got to this place so it might be a little bit of a softer heart pick based on who the defensive player of the week is but give me Carlton Marshall for the defensive player of the week offensive player of the week was also a little tough it was between two guys for me but you have to give it to Todd Santeo JMU's quarterback I mean he had 204 yards in the air two touchdowns no turnovers or no interceptions he did have a fumble but no interceptions and then 18 carries 61 yards in the rushing touchdown was really the difference for me. 
Grayson McCall had a very similar performance, had a couple more yards in the air, but he also had two touchdowns in the air, one on the ground. But the way Todd did it in comeback fashion, he won his team that game. So I think you have to give him the nod in this situation. They do not win that game without his legs. Those 18 carries were huge, had some great third down conversions, some great passes to really have four, lead a four touchdown swing in that game in BAP State. So Todd Santeo, JMU quarterback, offensive player of the week, defensive player of the week, Troy linebacker, Carlton Marshall. Well, that will be the second time that Todd Centeno has picked up a Smith pick of the week after he garnered one earlier this year. Carlton Marshall picks up his first, and we're now all on record watch. He stands just 71 tackles away from becoming the all-time leader in Division I history in terms of tackles. At the rate he's going, that could be three games, maybe four. So looks like he's got a big chance at picking that one up. Well, That'll do it for our week four recap episode. We're officially through one third of the Sunbelt season with what's sure to be an exciting month of October ahead. A quick reminder that we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday of this week where you'll hear from James Madison wide receiver Chris Thornton about his career journey and the early season success of the Dukes. Well, we want to say thank you so much for listening. We both really enjoyed this episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. We certainly hope you did too. If you did, make sure to subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss an episode. Also, take a moment and leave a review or rating. It really helps us out in those chart rankings on both of those platforms. And finally, don't forget to follow us on our newly started Twitter page at at, at Prairie and Smith. For all the latest Sunbelt football news and notes, we've got some great takes on there. We'll be dropping our episodes on there weekly, so give us a follow on Twitter. We'd love to start a further conversation with you. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.